being willing to to go after what makes you inspired or um, pat what you're passionate about because I think that you know probably for the first time in our lives even though we work more and we're you know our kids would see us work a lot we talk about work a lot at home except for after six o'clock we, mm-hmm. yeah we don't get to talk about it anymore I like that six good rule it's, it's a problem yeah. um, and so I, I think that like I think for them to see that like this is ingrained in who we are this business is kind of who we are as people like, exemplified and we want to see them to see us working hard you know, facing challenges, arguing about stuff at times, and then coming through, being able to come through that Mm -hmm. together is really, is a really powerful thing for them to see. And for us, them to see us like, you know, going after something we care about. Great businesses don't spring up out of nowhere. Building a business involves overcoming challenges, experiencing failures, large and small, and putting in the work day in and day out. Welcome to season three of the Building Bellingham podcast. I'm your host, Leo Cohen. Thank you for joining me as we dive into the story behind one of Bellingham's biggest brands. For our season finale, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Paul and Ari Newman, founders and owners of Cool Chocolate, and it's manufactured right here in Bellingham, Washington. Every episode of the Building Bellingham podcast is a ton of fun for me as the host, and I know our crew has a lot of fun. This episode was on a different level. We told stories. There was lots of laughter. There was some crying. There was eating chocolate and celebrating with some whiskey. I'm put on the spot on the flavor palette of a piece of chocolate, and I fail. Do you know what the difference is between direct trade and fair trade? I didn't, but now I do. Probably one of the most impactful parts of this story that you will hear is when we talk a little bit more about changing the brand name and realizing that it's just the mask to a bigger mission. When you focus on filtering every decision through that mission, it doesn't really matter what the brand is as long as the people are there and the mission stays the same. I put Paul and Ari on the spot and asked them what message they would like to pass along to their kids. And ultimately, what does it mean to be a local business owner and scaling a huge business? I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed this conversation. And while you're listening to it, break a piece of chocolate, pop it in your mouth, and maybe have a glass of whiskey. Thanks for joining us. This is the finale. (laughs) <laughs> and we we had to postpone, but we're all here, and it was the perfect timing. So thank you for joining us on the final episode of Absolutely. season three. Tell us a little bit more about you guys and, and who you are. We are a uh, kind of a social enterprise business that uses chocolate as a mechanism for uh, creating you know social impact at origin. So mm-hmm. with our producers, with our women's associations that we work with, uh, it enables us to use this bar of chocolate that we make to provide a feedback loop that we can support, that consu- consumers can support, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something yeah. to that effect. And you both have all of this experience now. Did, was there a like previous passion for chocolate or what? how did you guys get into chocolate specifically? There was definitely a previous passion for eating chocolate. Nice. I come from a long line of chocolate years. And so- It's very um, abnormal, yeah. For humans <laughs> to like chocolate, yeah. I know. It's like durian. durian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a long line of durian, durian eaters. Durian. <laughs> I love it. So- um, I think when we we were wanting to find a commodity that helped create change and chocolate was one of those that really there's a lot of need for work to be done in this space. There's a lot of child and slave labor. And so we wanted to get to work trying to create change from the beginning of the um, of the business. So building it into the business model and that kind of instigated this 
well, mostly for Paul, because I was pregnant at the time, but like attempt to go find um, people that to work with at Origins that we knew had great cacao and finding particularly women that were doing work in that space that we could help support and bolster in an effort to build community and to do chocolate differently. So that's kind of how it all started. And we threw our, you know, as you do your money into it while you're pregnant, because that makes sense. And, um, and sent Paul Gallivanting quit our jobs, you know, the kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's like jumping out of the airplane Yeah. and then not checking the backpack (laughs) is on. Oh, we know. Yeah. (laughs) You know that one, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is fun. Shit. Is my secondary shoot on? What's a secondary shoot? That's another question. Uh, well, that when we jumped exist. out, <laughs> I, was yeah. uh, I don't even think that close. Yeah. I mean, I think we literally just. Clothes are overrated. We were in we, the shower yes. and we jumped out of the plane. Yeah. Perfect. It was weird. But when we landed, we got a lot of attention. Yeah. Things happen when you land safely. And they also happen if you don't. And, and things happen when you're no clothes on. And land unsafely. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyways. Oh, that's, a, that's an image for everybody. Yeah. Right. You both eat chocolate differently. If I Step one. Question number one. Which chocolate bar are we going to break into first? And secondly, I want to watch both of you eat chocolate because you both eat chocolate differently. Which star, Which uh, bar of chocolate are we doing here? Burnt maple, toasted coconut, wild ginger cayenne, or peppermint crunch, or pure dark chocolate? I would say I would say burnt maple. We had a consensus. Pure dark. So we. Might I was going to say pure dark, or I was going to say the maybe the peso. Everybody, watch very carefully. <laughs> this is how chocolate is meant to be eaten. You first. Well, go first. I mean, I go first. Okay, yeah. I'm going to be quite quick because I just pop it in. I need it. Okay. Like, like a normal, normal person. Being. Not usually even always that graceful. I don't do the whole thing. Like when You I should do the thing just for sake of showing us how you should. Well, first you have to cut it in half. You have to cut it in half. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> here's, here's the... Sh- you guys want some? See, in the meantime, we've eaten an entire bar of <laughs> 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 And I'm like, still, my lips are still moving. No, so here's the charade of chocolate. Charade. <laughs> That's right. So you would take and you would you would sniff it. Mm. And you so have to take another one. <laughs> just so you see how you get down the bar right, right? Mm. you smell it right so we we taste with our nose right, right? You don't, and then you would uh you know put it in your mouth and then you don't bite and you taste mm. for milk what are we tasting texture besides maple and chocolate in this one what's what are the notes beyond that well this one this is why i said we wouldn't do this one because mm. it's got stuff in it mm. right it's got maple okay. pieces if you're to do dark you're oh, let's do dark um, they have a huge stash uh, at Whole Foods and some other local retailers. Where else can they find co-op? Co-op locally. Co-op. And they can buy off the website. Website Hagen. Uh, Station Greenhouse. Greenhouse. Uh, um, I feel like there's another place. You guys should just go buy. It. It's delicious. Okay, so now we're doing notes that are not burnt maple. So we're gonna break it in half. Yeah. yeah. Probably. So I'm not gonna tell you what I taste. Let it melt. Like roll around. Mm. Get on the sides of the mouth and see. Inside your mouth. Tastes earthy. Is that right? Good. I mean, I don't think that there's a, there is, in a sense, this is the, the interesting thing in chocolate. Like, there is basically like, okay, a, a Peruvian cocoa bean might have a, a fruity or floral note. And those are fairly standard because yeah. it's the bean. But when you see chocolate companies that put their, their taste profiles, mm. um, they're completely arbitrary. There's like someone's you, opinion. Yeah. I mean, you taste chocolate differently than I would taste chocolate. I just made up something that sounded, and you know, like I knew what I was talking I'm gonna about. I was going to actually hire you. You're impressed. Right? I was impressed. I'm going to. Because I'm a bullshitter. Cool. Okay. That's, I would just I, tell okay, an Like, I'm like, I, yeah, I shouldn't hear it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Telepathically. Yeah. Telepathically. I was like, we need to get him for writing copy. You know, you get this melt. 
there's different ways of uh, chocolate will kind of like resolve itself in your mouth, like after you eat it. Like if you eat it, and there can be acidic notes, mm -hmm. there can be tannins, there can be all kinds of different things that you can explore. But really, the flavor comes from how we receive certain flavors ourselves. Or what side of the mouth or the tongue or all the things, right what you just ate or, you know. Yeah, what you eat previously, right? So if we were to have this, it's like this, the, the burnt maple influences what we just ate. Yeah. Because we didn't clean our palate with like ah, sand or. We gotta redo it. Something, you know. Um, but I think at the end of the day, really like you have to just eat, enjoy. I don't think there's any prescribed way. And that is the final judgment. Eat chocolate how you want. We're gonna eat some more chocolate. We might have a drink or two, and we're going to tell your story. So I'm cool. super excited to jump into it. Who are you guys? How did you meet? How did you start this idea? Paul and I have always had this idealistic approach to business and what can be done with products. And we've worked in the marketing branding side of life for a really long time. And we've often, you know, spent time thinking about how we could do it differently. And so um, we were on our honeymoon in India and we were kind of trying to figure out when was the time to take the leap to do something that was kind of our own. And, um, you know, what better time than when you're newly pregnant to change everything so mm -hmm. we in, um, in, in, in india, in india yeah. yeah it just felt like the right next <laughs> yeah. move so um <laughs> this is it yeah so we i'm um, gonna go back to the hotel and take a nap because yeah. i feel nauseous yeah <laughs> yeah so we had enough contacts and we came, came from the natural products industry so we had a bit of understanding about how to launch a product and had contacts to maybe um help help make that happen mm -hmm. so um we decided that we were gonna kind of launch launch a chocolate company that was gonna be um, building good doing good into beginning the process you know so you're, you're working before for somebody else before mm -hmm. both of you and you had this moment of going this was maybe more safe and secure and what i'm used to and then you're in a different country and you have this moment going we want to make a change in the world we want to make an impact but we also want to work for ourselves which is like it is totally romanticized to work for yourself people say that it's like you have all the time in the world and then you the, the real reality is that Maybe, you have no well, time. You have no time. <laughs> what were the emotions that you're feeling when you're like deciding to make this big pivot with your life when you're pregnant? For me, it was like, I can always go work more, but I won't always have this opportunity to be present for my child. And so for me, it was, or go work for someone else even. So I think that was part of the risk. And I also wanted to be a model for my kids of taking chances and mm. following your heart. And I felt like, you know, I think Paul and I kept bumping up against that, like, internal what would you call it like just reminder that like you you've always wanted to do something that you created you've always wanted to do something that you created like when is going to be that time and there never really was the right time but i think for me being pregnant kind of in a weird way forced me to face who i wanted to be and who i wanted to be for my kids so i think that was what <laughs> pushed me over the edge but you know what would you say like everything we have this this honeymoon in india and um you know, we did part, we, we divided the honeymoon in half. Okay. The first half of it, we jokingly or whatever, called it like a service moon. Mm -hmm. So we went and helped a, a group uh, uh, distribute vitamin A for children mm -hmm. under five for like the first 10 days. So we traveled to like these really remote villages in India where it was like a bus, a dugout canoe, a two hour hike. And then you're in this small village that has not seen Westerners ever. And you're there to give vitamin A. So there's a small team. Of we're doing this and we're witnessing like the predominantly women bringing kids to these distribution sites. And when I say sites, like, you know, this is the school, the community school, like one, right. the one building in the community. Yeah. yeah. Very rural. 
Mm -hmm. Very rural. These women were bringing children, you know, and some of the children weren't even theirs. And we were looking at this and we're like, man, it would be such a powerful thing to do is to create a product, to create a company that focused on supporting women at origin, because really they're like the glue of culture, right? right? They're like the, the things that bind and keep the world together. Right. And more often than not, in most com companies, in most countries, they're, they're kind of marginalized. Right. And they're left to do things that that are outside of their dream scope. Right. They're outside of their capabilities because whatever. The, the so they're the glue, but they're also marginalized at the same time. There's this <clears throat> like absolute need for the contribution of women. Right. In a culture. But then there's this marginalization. Well, because it's such a patriarchal. Basically, in these countries, yeah. most countries it's a very patriarchal system. And so uh, anyways, you know, without getting too much into the weeds there. So, you know, we were seeing this thing and we, we, we recognized like, wow, this would be fantastic. Like, would it be really cool to do this thing? And so at that point we had to realize, we had to like manifest a way to do it. So we knew somebody that made chocolate. Was this just an acquaintance? Was this someone that you had met on a bus? I mean, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, it was an acquaintance, somebody that I knew. Yeah that made chocolate and so i we got back and we started asking like hey could you make some chocolate for us so we worked it out right it took a long time too right yeah our initial thought was that he would make the chocolate and we would market it because that was kind of what we are good at and what we knew and then we figured the rest of it would kind of um once we built the brand we could then learn how to make the chocolate because our vision was always have the chocolate made in bellingham and for us to be a bat driving that but we in order to get there we had to like baby step it i remember it differently Oh, how do you, so let's let's hear your side too. Yeah, no, I'm just no. I mean, I think I don't. Yeah. No, I. I mean, for for me, I. It's interesting. It's a weird dichotomy. For me, I didn't really want to make chocolate. Yeah, I was very interested in it. Like whenever we would go and have our chocolate made, I would go and be a part of the manufacturing process. Like I, I do a bit of it, but I didn't ever want to step back and be like and own this thing, this factory thing. Like it was wasn't in like because. I just felt like it was above my pay grade. And because you'd watched maybe Willy Wonka as a kid and you're like, I don't, I'm, Johnny Depp's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> Big running rivers of chocolate. Right. I, you know, I was trying to think of like, how do you make that? And you yeah. have to have water jacketed. Idealistic yeah. approach. And then Paul's like the realism of like, he would be the person physically making that happen. Cause I'd be like, cool, we're going to do this thing. And yeah, go Paul, go. <laughs> yeah. You go know? have fun. Go have fun. Yeah. But so, you know, we did, we did this. Um, and so we're very much a part of it, but not. Right. And then uh, 2018, right? We decided, yeah. like, let's do this. So we're sitting around the kitchen table. We have a friend that was kind of... Guiding us, like kind of being like a yeah. mentor. And yeah. she, we were like, F it, maybe we just make our own chocolate. Like it, it was that, um, it was it that was like that nonchalant. Naive. And then also we're like, what does it take? What do we need to get? How hard can it be? Yeah. Like, That's a good question. No, totally. And yeah. I think that like, and I, and I will say this within the context of like this conversation for business, I almost think the more naive you are, the more fresh mind you come in, mm -hmm. the better off you're going to be. Because I think if you really like spin the cube around and do the, if this, then that, and answer all those questions, you could get searched. Yeah. Because it really becomes quite overwhelming. If I knew now, if I knew then, excuse me, what I know now, I certainly would not have ever probably done this. If I knew like how the challenges, the multitude of challenges and the layers and the things that I didn't think were a part of the game. Yeah. If I was like, if I could transport that information back, I'm not sure what 2018 Paul or for that matter, Ari would have said, we would have been like, bring it. Cause we love, we're like, we love getting our asses kicked. Yeah. Um, we're really good at that. We're really good at that. And we're really good at climbing the mountains. I always equate us to being like the settlers that are going across country and they come up to like, they come to the Rockies, right? Right. Our goal is California and we're coming to the Rockies and we see this big fucking mountain range. Yeah. 
And we're like, oh God, we gotta get over that with our family and our wagon and all our shit. Yeah. And then you like muscle through it and you're traipsing through snow and you're like, yes, we did it. And you start to come to the other side and then you see the Sierra Nevadas. And you're like, no, there's another one. You're nowhere near the ocean. You're nowhere near yeah. But it's okay. But it's okay. It's there. Like we did it. Yeah. Like, you know, kind of know your metal, you know, kind of what you're made of. Yeah. It's almost like reframing the way you look at challenge. Like, I think now we see it differently than maybe mm -hmm. we would have thought initially, like the sky is falling, like this thing is insurmountable. Now we're like, okay, this is the next thing we need to learn how to do. And for us to, you know, grow as humans or grow as business people. And we see it. I don't know if it's necessarily take it as personally, maybe it is still as personal, but we, we approach it differently. I think we understand now that every, every time, if we want to grow and if we want to um, expand our offerings as a business, we are going to constantly be facing that same challenge. And so mm -hmm. we need to change how we approach it so that we can best continue to do this thing that we love to do. So would you say maintaining a certain level of being naive, not naive, but almost like kind of prepping yourself, knowing that you, you probably will talk yourself out of stuff if you know all of the pros and cons of it. So just saying, look, this is how it was before. It worked out. I've got the right brain on my shoulders. I've got a good partner. I've got a good crew. We have all the things in place. It's not going to be easy because if it was, everyone would do it. But we're going to just, we're going to do it. We're going to go into it knowing there's going to be challenges and that we're going to push through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think that like to add to that is <clears throat> I think we've been across enough Sierra Nevadas and yeah. Rockies at this point that we know for the most part, there's no challenge that's going to crush us. Yeah. We have gas in our tank to have to work 80 hours a week. Should that be required? It's not something that, you know, that we're going to sit back and moan about and be like, oh, working for ourselves. We wanted to do it for 35 hours a week. And, yeah. and there's times we can't like there's times when our kids have things in the middle of the day or they need us and we can absolutely flex our days around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was that was the dream for me is always to be able to be as present as I needed to be for them. And so I think this allows me to use to do both in the best way that I can imagine for myself. And I don't, I don't, I don't ever see my kids. <laughs> what are so that That's not true because I saw your goods. I was chasing the little bugger. That's right. I know. I know. And I, I made a joke, a really dumb dad joke because I'm preparing for a kid. And mm -hmm. I said, I think I was like to my wife, I said, you hear that siren? I think I'm getting pulled over because I was having a that beer. A and then she's like, you're so dumb. You came over and I didn't realize it was you. And anyways, small, small so, world. So I have a question, question for you. Yeah. So one of the things. You have I, a question because you've got questions. I've, I think so. Um, <laughs> Now that I'm in the moment, I have no, no, I'm just kidding. My big question is around brand. Um, one of the things that you've done just aesthetically and also with your story um, and how like now kind of getting to know the behind, like the behind the scenes, how this came to be, your branding is what is the first thing that people see. And then they go, oh, there's a story. And then, I love that you've incorporated your story into your branding. Tell me a little bit more about that whole process. Because when people go to the store, you're not the only chocolate brand out there. You know, there's there Willy Wonka. He has his own chocolate brand, but thought we would be or Nestle or whatever you want. But the whole point is that there's <laughs> there's there there's a lot of chocolate out there, but people know your brand. Let's talk a little bit more about that and why that's that story is so important. Well, it's been an iteration also because when we started the brand, we didn't highlight the people behind the product and the people that, that we partner with. And I think for us, it's always been you know as important as making good chocolate is making sure that we're you know, talking about the people that we work with. So we needed to have a way to, to mesh those two. And it was kind of a big leap to put the people because we were kind of worried that we would look like we were, uh, what would you call it? 
taking advantage of the people at Origin by showing showcasing them on the bar. Like so, um, we lit- have literally asked every single person because we travel to the Origins pre-COVID at least once um, or twice a year that we partner with. So we wanted to make sure to incorporate them as much as possible. And the impact that we had hoped to have, like you'll see that on there, it's always been like to have a real impact. As we grew our partnerships, as we grew the people we worked with, we wanted to showcase that on the bars so that people knew what the growth of the business meant for our impact as a group. Yeah, so this one, um, <clears throat> Nelfi is, um, this one here, uh, Nelfi is- uh, And that's toasted coconut for those of you listening. Yeah, she she um, <clears throat> runs an association in, in the DR. We had brought a, uh, a bar of chocolate for her. And so we're sitting down and this is actually right before COVID. Hit. It was uh, October, 2019. And we were getting ready to do preparations for roasting profile tests and all this stuff. And we we're sitting around and I, and I said, Nelfi, we have a gift for you. Uh, I said, close your eyes and put your hands out. And so she did that. And then we put the bar in her hand and she opened her eyes and then she literally started crying. Like she was like, wow, for the first time, I feel like I'm seen. People are actually being able to know my story and know about us in a way that's amplified more than just our little microcosm mm-hmm. of the work we do, you know, they do. And so it was really interesting. And then after that, you know, all, a lot of the other women in the association were like, Hey, I want to have mine. I want to, you know, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. It's, um, and so, you know, I think it's, for us, it's, it was important, an important part of how we share what we do and why we do it. And again, and, and like you said, you know, if you're not the only chocolate bar on the shelf, like, how do you zig when others are zagging? Right. Like, how do you do something that might uh, visually change uh, somebody's awareness in a in a com- competitive set? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You know, it's mm-hmm. like when we set out to first do this, like we would walk in front of the chocolate set and close our eyes and then open them. And then really quickly, you start to get a sense on color blocking, textures, images story but you don't know i'm like this is very subconscious like you close your eyes and then you open them and you immediately look where your eye tracks and then you start to aggregate color blocks you start to aggregate shapes you start to do these things and so you go okay so it looks like there's a trend in the color blue purple and magenta stay away from that because that's going to phase out Mm. next year so you want to move over here so it's like there's a lot of visual assessment that you do to try to go like how do we create something that's unique and yet something that's contemporary slash timeless because those two have to work kind of hand in hand. Right. It has to relate the customer with what it is, but also differentiate from the others. And did you ever have any weird experiences in Whole Foods where you were standing there blinking and people were staring at you because you're trying to kind of get your, get your color block. I've been, I've been some mar- somewhat kicked out of stores. Like, like somewhat. Taking, well, you know, you can always kind of say, Oh, I'm just taking a picture for my wife. Cause I'm when we started thinking this through it was 2014, 15. And this was like before, people were taking their cell phones and taking pictures in stores. So like you would have to get picture, you know, approval from the manager. And they thought that you were some competitor doing some kind of like, and there's uh, some tipping point where it became okay to take pictures. Oh, in stores. Totally. Yeah. 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 But I have, I have been in the store, let's say as an example for a local store, Hagen and somebody's shopping chocolate and I'll be walking by and I, I just always checking the aisle and somebody's there kind of like making their judgments, making their assessments, you know, they're kind of close to ours. And I'll be like, you know what? I heard this one's really good. <laughs> he is shamelessly promoting. Oh, so shamelessly. Why, you should be so shamelessly. And they're like, really? And I'm like, I, I think, and I think this one's like, and I'd be like the burnt maple. And like, I think there's a great, and they're made in Bellingham. No way. They're made in Bellingham. They're totally. And they're being a bar. Like these are three ingredient chocolate bars. They're like, Whoa, I had no idea. Like, do you recommend any? I'm like this, this, and this. And 
And then after a while, they're like, God, that's great. Do you buy this lot? I'm like, my wife and I own the company. And they're like, no, really? This is so cool. I'm like, so you get a money back guarantee. Yeah. Connecting with each one of these people. Did you know these distributors, these manufacturers, these growers, like pre getting into this business? How did you meet these people? Did you start asking questions and taking pictures in Hagen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just say, no, I like, so, you know, you find one, we found one group and. Where's the first country that you. The Dominican Republic. Okay. Dominican Republic. Okay. Find one group. And then, um, you know, you're, you're meeting with them and they, they're like, well, hey, listen, there's another group that is over here in this part of, you know, Espelat in, in the DR. You should go check them out. So you get in your car and you drive through the jungle and try to locate them and they're not there. And so then you go to this another place. And so eventually it's just like connecting the dots. And then it gets to the point to where, you know, groups might start reaching out to us because mm -hmm. they understand like what we do. And so we'll have women's groups from various countries that might reach out or. Like through um, Facebook, like mm -hmm. as an example, yeah. And didn't you All think at the, mm -hmm. well, there was like a cocoa conference in the DR that you went back to, and that's where you met the Peruvian folks? There were they were there like the government tends to get involved in trying oh, to create right. opportunity, particularly for women and advancement. And so there, we've been able to connect with groups that way, and mm -hmm. then also have some support with translation or with connections. Yeah. Um, and so like, I think that's how we got to Peru. Right. Like yeah. So we at the World Cocoa Conference. I was in a meeting. I got—I don't even know how I got invited. Well, I crashed it. It was like with the, you know, uh, the Peruvian admit. Uh, um, what is it? The director of agriculture. Well, it's a pretty high-level people. Mm -hmm. Sure. And then you know talked about what we do, and they're like, "Oh, well, we'd love to have you come Peru and 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 meet some of the groups, and mm -hmm. we can set you up." And so it just kind of snowballs after yeah. a period of time. And then also, it's like rounding out after we understood the like flavor profile of cacao. Like, what are customers or different people we worked with wanted for flavors because you know Peru the Dominican Republic have certain flavors and then we wanted to reach out to an African um, association at that point we had enough inertia that we were able to kind of reach out Paul's no know, knows a fair amount of people in the industry and so we were able to reach out and kind of ask for the right contact one, one cool thing about that is that you just ask the questions and then showed up it's like if you talk about how simple that is i mean i'm not saying it's it's a small feat but it's a simple move it's just i'm gonna ask i'm gonna go i'm gonna go test out products i'm gonna get to know it better the education yeah. tell me about that process through education um because you've been eating chocolate let's say most of your most of your life i think most people have but then there was a certain point where you're like okay i have to really understand the flavor profile so i can understand what we're what we're buying what was that education process like? How, was it crash course MBA in in uh, cacao flavor profile testing? Like, how did how did you find the right person to learn from? I think we we backed into it right. So we came into this with an intention of doing good and, and making chocolate, but doing good and making chocolate were at the same level. And so many mm. people in the space that we were selling in the craft space, they're they're in it for the chocolate, you know. And um, they they often will do well, do good by the way that they source because it's just the nature of craft. We were like, yeah, we know what's up, like pretty early on, mm -hmm. and um, and we totally didn't know at all what was up. Yeah. And um, is <laughs> that a mantra? Like, a, we know what's up. You said every morning, like. You know it's up. I know it's like, up. This bone? Yeah. Like I need a lot of chocolate. Like by all, by all practical purposes, I should be an expert. And even in craft chocolate, we actually reached out to Rob from another craft maker. Um, he owns Fresco locally. Okay. When we when we yeah. bought our equipment, and we're like, well, shit. Now what do we do with this stuff? Like we have this equipment here. Um, we need to we need to get some help getting it. Like operational understanding it. And so we reached out, started just reaching out to people. You know, I think that it's a bit it's a bit of um. Would you say a little shishi? Like the craft space, the people in it have like a pretty high regard for the way chocolate is made and tasted. 
And so it took a hot minute to like infiltrate that because we didn't arrive oh. at it the same way that a lot of people in this space did. I feel like, I think, I think Paul's really good because he's great at asking questions. He's super humble. And so when he was putting together the factory, people wanted to help him because of who he is. And I think he's, I think that really, at least from my side of looking at it, like changed the way that people were willing to help us that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. I think that we had, we got lucky. I mean, we, we asked questions. We didn't know anything about it for the most part. Mm -hmm. So when like making chocolate is not easy. Like it's seriously incredibly difficult to make chocolate. Two day, two day process. For one bar of chocolate will take two days to make from start to finish. You think about like how hard can it be when we're sitting around the table in August 2018. Most of ingredients. And you know, this, you don't need a machine. Three ingredients. Yeah, come on. Yeah. This. Fist bump. Boom. Let's do this. Yeah, we got this. And so we made the decision in August and we had to get a factory up and running by December. So we bought in enough of enough product to get, hold us over while we made the transition from the co-packer essentially to making it ourselves. And what was enough product at that time? Well, not enough. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I don't 50, even know. Bars yeah, 50, 60,000 like bars. 60,000 bars? Yeah. yeah. 60,000. How many bars could fit in this room? Like what does 60,000 bars look like? Let's say 4,000 bars fit on a pallet. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five. So by uh, eight... 16 times four is 64,000. So six, 16 pallets. So we have one extra pallet in here. That's a lot of chocolate. Yeah. And that was not enough chocolate. And that was not enough chocolate. So no. So like when we, okay, going back to this question, uh, well, whatever, it was more of a, a, it was more of a sense. It was more of a feel that you were emitting out there, which is like, a how vibe. That, what, your vibe. Yeah, just give off a vibe. <laughs> I was just emanating. Going back to being naive, going back to thinking that like, okay, we can do anything. And not in a superhero kind of way, just more like a chop wood, carry water way. Good book. I always talk about the Finding Nemo movie, mm -hmm. uh, the Dory swimming thing, mm -hmm. the swimming fish. Just keep swimming. Mm -hmm. Literally every single day, I wake up and I tell myself to just keep swimming. Just put my foot in front of the other and figure it out. Because eventually it's going to resol resolve. In between that pathway, there's 27 moments of panic. Right. The panic isn't not there. It's like, well, oh, you're super confident. No, it's just that, like I tamper that down so nobody can see it. Yeah. Except for Ari. Ari sees it frequently. Yeah. And you just yeah. chop wood, carry water because you got to hydrate and stay warm. Right. Gotta you got to yeah. do You got to do it. There's no choice, especially now that we, you know, we're a family and we're making this business. There's no plan B. There is no parachute. And I think that also helps to like put you in a space where you don't have <laughs> that suitcase packed under the bed. So like if the relationship ain't working out, you just grab it and jam. Yeah. You know, like it's like you're in this. Yeah. You're, we're committed. When it came to this time to where we're like sitting around the table and saying, how hard can this be? Let's do it. And we had four months to, to do it. Nothing existed. Yeah. We didn't have space. We didn't have the money for the equipment. We didn't have the know-how. We didn't know what to buy for equipment. Like we didn't know anything. And we had to get a factory up and running in three and a half months that was organic certified by the USDA. And make chocolate. And make chocolate. So by January 1, we could keep our product flowing into distribution. Because at that point, mm -hmm. we were in Whole Foods. We were in, we were in 500. Four, four, four or 500 accounts. Yeah. yeah. So you have all this, the production side of it and the, the background and the connection to the source and the people and like the story and everything's there. But then there's the consumer on the other side, whether the story is there or not. They, like if someone might connect deeply with the story and eat the chocolate as a byproduct, who is your customer? How did you find them? Was it like, hey, word of mouth in Bellingham? Or was it like marketing online? Was it direct to, 
you know, Whole Foods. I mean, how, like, what was your plan? How did you do that? So there's a distributor called UNFI. Okay. Uh, they're a big, the largest, like, in, or natural uh, uh, distri distributor in the country. And so we had a friend who worked there, and, and he um, made a couple phone calls and connections to get me a meeting with the head buyer back in Rhode Island. So I'm talking to the guy on the phone, and he said, and this is 2016. He was like, yeah, sure, this is great. I'd love to meet you. How about next Tuesday? And this is like Thursday. And I was like, cool, I'm there. Yeah. Get a plane, fly out there, make the pitch. Now, the way that it works with distribution is that you have to have retailers, mm -hmm. which are, I guess, an industry called doors. You have to have doors that want to bring you in. So you go to the retailer and like, hey, I've got this great product. You go to their buyer and they're like, cool, are you distributed? And you're like, no, we'll go get distributed and come back. You go to the distributor and you're like, doors. hey, I want you yeah. to carry my product. They're like, do you have doors? You're like, not yet. Because the doors are asking for, you know, so you have to play this game. And so you're trying to convince everybody that you're good enough. Did you get your door? Did you get the door no, we first? Got, we got the distribution first. Distribution. Okay. So we, so I left the meeting. He goes, yeah, I'll give you two distribution centers. I left the meeting, went outside, called Ari, and I'm like, you're not going to believe it. We just got two DCs in the Pacific Northwest. Which means we were going to be distributed basically West Coast. Yeah. yeah. And have they, who, who tries the product? Was it was it all based on the numbers and the, and the pitch or was, and, the, and the story and the social good element? Or was it... Are you sitting in this boardroom and you're like, here's here's our maple bar, here's our toasted coconut, here's our like, yeah. What what is that experience? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a you know it's a it's a, a half and half, right? Yeah. I think it's story. Story is the first thing. And I think like it just depends like where we are on the shelf. Like for a Whole Foods customer, they might not have a lot of you know they have the endangered species and a couple of like social enterprise brands to choose from. And we really felt like we could take it a step further and like really humanize the chocolate making process and the workers that do, you know, the growing, the harvesting, the processing of the beans before they get to us. And so that was our hope is to kind of be that step above the sort of whitewash. And I it would, I'm using that word like very loosely, but like um, that doesn't necessarily have the story. And mm -hmm. so that was our hope was to fill that gap in the marketplace. And what we found is that it was interesting. We weren't quite craft. We weren't quite like the seven, $10, super mm -hmm. small batch folks. And we also weren't the Theo, mm -hmm. you know, Theo's massive compared to us. And so we wanted, we were trying to operate in a space that we weren't, I think consumers weren't quite sure who we were, what mm -hmm. we were about. Wouldn't you say mm -hmm. we were almost more expensive than the everyday bar, but not as expensive as the craft. Mm -hmm. Although you're producing a craft quality. Yes. Mm -hmm. The difference between craft, you know, the difference between the two. Oh, you put me on the, the spot here. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm just gonna be straight up and say no. Do I have to drink for that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll get to that. So crafts when you make you when you roast, yep. winnow, you make your chocolate from scratch. Uh, industrial chocolate is where you buy liquor and you make it in large substantial vats. You know, craft is a lot more intention, takes two days, things like that. Like you're hand selecting beans. You know, so craft has craft yields a premium. Right. Uh, so, anyways, you know, we were in this kind of what do we call it? No man's land. Yeah, like no man's land. No man's land. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. You got to know your lane. That's the one thing that we learned. And we had kind of a crisis of like who we were. Like, are we craft? Do we want to go be all in on craft, or do we want to go all in on? Let's call it mass. And that that is one of our most recent therapy sessions. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> because you know it's like it's like we want to like Paul Paul really knows. Cheers. Cheers, <laughs> Cheers to that. <laughs> therapy. Yeah, therapy is good for the soul. Here's... So we thought, okay. Mm. Mm. That's a delicious. Yeah. See, so you guys both savored that. Yeah, I, I am very generally the same. I just drink. Just a, fast. Yeah, just a. You should see just shake. Stay. I mean, just like the whole thing, like a yeah. <laughs> Keep it in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't cut. Don't cut.
so what we recognized is we kind of had to ping back because Paul is, Paul is pretty well, um, I, I, you know a lot of people in the craft space and he really likes that, that group of people. It's a really solid group They're of cool. humans yeah. that are doing great work. And, and so we're trying to figure out like, can we do both? Can we kind of hybridize because we're interested in both? This idea of creating chocolate at scale, what we found is that's our mission. Our mission is to create the largest impact. And so the more beans we buy is in, you know, directly relational to the amount of people we can work with. And that's the end. That is at, for at least for me. And I think for you as well, like the bottom line of what we're trying to do here is create impact. We might not do that selling $7, $10 bars of chocolate. And what we've recently recognized when we took the next leap that we have recently taken, which was buying a chocolate chip machine, is there's a huge market for a sort of craft chip for business to business. So that also is a really cool way to align to other businesses that are doing good work, you know, in our community that are, that use chocolate chips. So we've been able to really expand our, our community that way. Scope a little bit. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. is just allows us to make a lot more chocolate. You can in inform like, so going back that you asked that question about education consumers, right? Mm -hmm. well, it's hard when your products at the shelf and there's nobody there to speak for it. Mm -hmm. right? You hope, you hope this front thing tells a story enough mm -hmm. that it compels somebody to pick it up. But you know, the reality is it's three to five seconds mm -hmm. and most people align to what they already know. Mm -hmm. So if they already are familiar with endangered species or whatever that is on a shelf, Lynn, whomever that is, they're very seldomly going to jump outside of that comfort zone because at the end of the day, our most important asset is time, right? So when we're shopping, you're hustling to get from here to home. You've got 23 minutes to get to the store. And so you're just like grabbing stuff. You might not even be looking for autopilot. autopilot, right? Yeah. So we, we don't have the ability to influence decision-making at the shelf. But but when we start, like Eric was saying, when we start when we're starting now to work with other businesses, we can create an influence based on what we make and why we do it. And now we're having pretty you know, decent sized companies coming to us and saying, hey, we love what you do and we love what you make. Can you make some for us? So almost a licensing. Just more like an ingredient, mm. right? So what Ari's saying is like, what we had, the, 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 the not the existential crisis, that's, that's an over, generalization but like for us we were really attached to the brand mm -hmm. like we felt like the only way we succeed is through brand and for a lot of companies that's true but when we were to like sift through the intention of why we do what we do it comes down to how to create impact doesn't matter what face it wears doesn't matter what clothes it wears right if you go through the areas of 70s 80s and 90s and you're that same person you're wearing different clothes but you're the same person right like we're the same person doing the same work but we might facilitate that work through another company mm -hmm. and they may be buying 10,000 pounds of chocolate from us a month. Well, that that's, that's a substantial amount of impact that some people at origin would only sell a year. Mm -hmm. That's like five metric tons of cocoa. That, that would be a huge amount for some small producers. Like to say every single year or three times a year, we're going to purchase 15 metric tons from your small little cooperative or your association. They can count on that. It transforms communities. Mm -hmm. Like it allows totally for does. education and yeah. healthcare in a way that. And that's the thing that we're recognizing. Like, wow, if we scale a little bit, we can do impact in a way that may have looked different from the onset. Like mm -hmm. the onset was brand. Well, it's still brand, but it's not the way that we had initially set out to be. And I think we are becoming really okay with that. Like we still have cool and we still do this. We always will. And we'll launch different bars and work with different you know, retailers, we, we sell on Amazon. We always try to get the, the product out, you know, as, as we, as well as we can mm -hmm. um, and as many places as we can. But like for us, the real focus where we want to spend our energy is on the impact, which means we are looking to sell at scale and partnering with other businesses has been, has been awesome. So far, so, so far like people really, um, I think are looking for transparency in supply chain. They're often finding that they're not getting it from the people that they're buying from. And so the thing that we 
love to do is something that turns out people are looking for. And so that's been a really, that's an asset. Yeah. A really cool experience mm -hmm. to, and so talking about supply chain, I don't know if this is boring and in the weeds, but like we're in a crisis right now, mm -hmm. right? Globally, we're in a supply chain crisis for many tiers of goods. When you have really good, solid relationships with the people you work with at Origin, you get better prices. So direct trade is a model that we practice, which means we buy directly from growers and direct trade means we pay them directly. So it goes mm. from our bank account to their bank. It doesn't go through an intermediary. It doesn't so that, go and that would be fair versus fair trade, meaning that it's, tell me a little bit more just as a comparison yeah. to fair trade. Fair trade is a process and a, a model that allows farmers, growers, processors as well at Origin to get a, a fixed price. So let's say currently right now, I believe it's 2600 dollars a metric ton and it, let's say uh the global cocoa market right now a metric ton might be 1900 dollars. Mm -hmm. so it's a 700 dollars premium uh for that and and that's standardized so that's the base you, you can't you can't purchase cocoa any less than that so the farmers can know minimum my yields are going to represent two dollars and sixty a kilo i know mm -hmm. that that's what it's going to what i'm going to get and they can start to frame their production growing future casting all that stuff around that but still, at the end of the day, they sell their cocoa to another company. So it they're holds the certification for fair trade. The fair trade. Got it. Because most farmers aren't fair trade certified independently. Mm. They're in a cooperative or within a group grown under some master certificate. Got it. So like if, if you're a farmer and you grow cocoa and, um, and, and you grow cocoa for ZZZ, whatever, then I come to you and I say, hey, can, you, can I buy some of your cocoa? Yeah, you can buy it, but it's not fair trade. It has to go through that. So that means that they're taking the premium that I would have paid you. Makes sense. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So for us, we're fit, we're a fair trade certified importer. So we can a lot of times bypass those, pay directly. It just creates more financial impact. And so going back to the supply chain thing, we because we have these relationships, we're not beset by the same constraints that some other companies might be. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of companies in the space that are struggling to find ingredients. But because now we have better buying power, we have better relationships, we have really solid relationships, it makes it easier for us. And plus we can produce at a volume that many other, let's say mid-sized companies might not be able to do. So mm -hmm. it's a weird thing to say, but I think that COVID has been, I don't want to say beneficial, but the supply chain, we haven't been, it hasn't impacted us negatively. The same way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I just learned more about fair trade, direct to origin. Is yeah, that correct? Direct trade. direct trade, direct trade, fair trade, direct trade. Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk about the mask, the, the, the brand. You talked about it being the clothes that you wear. It is a, a very powerful brand. And how did you land on coal? Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. But how did you land on it? Where, where did you, where did you stumble on the word? Because it's a Mayan word, right? Yeah. How did, how did you choose that to represent the story, the impact that you were wanting to have? No, we probably got like eight, 7.35 minutes. Okay. Um, so we just, so we were literally, so we, our first name was Vija. Okay. And when we launched and that was with, uh, with a partner. And when we got to this decision to make our own chocolate, that was not something we could continue to do together. Like the person we were working with wasn't interested in that. And so we're like, cool, no big deal. We're going to just rebrand ourselves. Cause how hard can that be? Right? Like, mm. not, Meaning, like find a new, find a new brand name. name. No mm. big deal. Right. People do that all the time. Brands do that. And then very, are very successful in that transition. Okay. That was a joke. They, they don't, um, it's a bad idea. But, um, so what happened is we, well, we, hold on, hold on the backfill it, Peter. No backfill it further. Okay. Go ahead. I'm just gonna say one thing. So we did a lot of trademark research yes. with a ton of names. Yeah. Yes. We had our trademark so attorney parse through names, like a freaking 
uh, Vitamix. And it got like, pretty like, like Leo chocolate. And totally. Leo we Cohen chocolate. Yeah. We trademarked both of those. Don't yeah. even Damn. try to get it. Uh, Done. Damn. All right. Um, so we, so, so we, nothing was available. And like, we had this friend who, yeah. who had, had made a uh, chocolate called Cool in the, in Minnesota and had um, shut down his factory. And so Paul reached out to him and was like, so the, the and it actually still, so Bija means, um, Oh, it's uh, the seed. Fast, yeah. <laughs> the seed and origin of life. Right, the origin, and, and then cool means um, the interconnectivity between all living things. Mm. So it really was still in the vein, and even maybe more so than what like we evolution. Yeah, an evolution, and we so we felt like, well, this really actually works, and even though it already existed, maybe we can take it and and grow it from make there. it our own. That's when you called Peter. So yeah, so I called Peter. I called Peter. I'm like Peter, what are you doing with cool? Uh, I'm shutting it down. He he had got a, a health crisis. And so he was shutting it down. And I said, I'd love to buy it from you because getting a trademark and then getting everything built out and baked out to that is tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And he said, sure, I'll sell it to you. And I said, what do you sell it to me for? And he gave me a number that was <clears throat> ridiculous. It was like $1,500 or was it? No, it was, it was 10000 Okay, sorry. <laughs> Which is... Very low, video. probably, yeah. Well, but, but then you get all the molds, then you get all the files, then you get all the customers. Like, I mean, it was, you get the trademark, you get everything. It was like a package deal. And so that's where we, then we were like, okay, now we're not beach anymore. Yeah. Did that take a minute or? It took two minutes. Two minutes. Oh, you, sat, you sat on it too long. I, I'm just kidding. Well, and then going back, okay, um, be mindful of time. This is uh, going back to, okay, business pains, bumps, bruises. We were Bija. In distribution, 500 stores, tons of product in, mm. in distribution as Bija. Well, Bija is no longer. So we had to migrate to Cool, create the brand, get it into distribution. And we had to buy back all the inventory of Bija because it's guaranteed. Off the shelf huh. and off distribution. Oh, my goodness. Which was $35,000. Yeah. Mm. We had to pay $35,000 to buy back our own product. Mm. And then donated it. Probably saw it all over the community that year. Yeah, <laughs> we mm. were everywhere. We gave wow, like twelve hundred <laughs> bars to the school district. But that was very painful, and mm -hmm. that was one of those oops things where you're like, I didn't have thirty five thousand just sitting around. So you, you know. know, you can't plan ahead for that. That's not. That's one of those things you're like part of part of the vision and part of creating impact. And one of the things that I, I align with very much is, is focusing on creating value and providing value before you take payment. So it's how do, how do I, how can I provide value or education or impact on a community or multiple communities? The decision-making process gets easier and easier. And one of the things that I, you said earlier that was super interesting to me is you're like deciding if you're going to be, you know, the big box producer, or you're going to be like the craft super, you know, what is it called? The craft $7 to $10 yeah. bar uh, chocolate in the, the mission and, and impact behind the brand guided that decision. And it made it easy, even because it's a kind of you can go either way and be successful. Yeah, you can be McDonald's and be successful, or you can be the steakhouse and be successful. Right. right. So tell me a little bit more how the vision and the mission has guided decisions and made those easy for you. Would you say? <laughs> I mean, it, look at these are like crickets. It is. It's totally. It, it, it is easy. It's not. It's not. Well, it's easy to make the decision. It's not easy to then actuate it because mm, I think we've right. made we made the decision really quickly, but then to to then actuate that into the world or to shift our the way who how we work or who we work with and mm -hmm. for where our energy goes that took a lot longer mm -hmm. i think for us to get behind that because we have come to know ourselves as a certain way even though it was that's where all of i mean i think that's where all the energy was was in this other way of doing things and we were fighting against it because we saw ourselves a certain way and it wasn't until we it was when we saw ourselves differently that allowed us to, it really opened up 
everything, I think, in, in terms of who we work with, how we do things. And I think to add to what you're saying is like, we had our gaze to scale, we had our gaze down mm -hmm. and we were like, this is us. And we did, it wasn't until we kind of lifted our eyes up and looked spatially outward to think we can be so much bigger than we, like we've been boxing ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been, we were boxing ourselves in such a way that we were, we were so hung up on, let's go back to the thing, the brand or how we are. The mission always drove things that was always critical, but we were like, how do you hold that nexus? That thing mm -hmm. that's so critical to the, the core. Mm -hmm. But then how can you tilt your lens up a little bit and just pan out? And then once we started to realize like we can make this any way we want and we don't need to tie it to chocolate bars. It can be tied to selling to another company. The mission's still being achieved. Mm -hmm. Let's not be so hung up. Let's not let our egos get attached to this. Like it has to be the brand. It has to be bars on the shelf. It has to be distribution nationwide. It has to look it has to be like PR that. about your brand and your mission. Like really, you know, it's, it's, it's a material. Because really, the, the work is the work. Like we're 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 setting out to create a company to try to do good. That's the work. If it's featured on the Today Show or if it's not, which ironically we were, and then and then congratulations. That, it didn't translate into what you would have expected, oh, right? Okay. So you think you know? Still congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. You. yeah, it was a really fun experience. But I think like one would think that was then the tipping point to all of this, you know, success or whatever that looks like. But we found that like it's really people to people as opposed that we've gotten there, and that really. I mean, like our business model, right? It has always been the people. It has always been people. And so it, it would make sense. It's always, the, it's going to be the people that get us to, you know, align with us to achieve what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I think. I read a number that was a million chocolate bars. And if you were to take that number and that to me, I haven't, we just calculated 64,000 chocolate bars and my mind's blown. We're talking about impact, how chocolate bars equal impact on these communities and I'm buying direct from origin or direct, what is it called again? Direct trade. direct trade. Direct trade. What does a million chocolate bars do for a community? What is 10 million chocolate bars? What is like, what does this open up if if you can scale? And what is that? What, what are your goals for, for scaling this? This is like the new hot, um, like we are literally trying to get our heads around that on, around this because some of the companies that have been coming to us are so big, like billion dollar companies that we quite literally are um, shitting our pants. But also, um, but also like recognizing like, whoa, like we could create actual um, production facilities in country mm. and man, then we could employ hundreds of people. We could go from hoping to, you know, be able to provide healthcare and education and, you know, consistent, you know, nutrition to really creating like profound impact on massive amounts of people around the world. And so, way beyond the, our initial scope. Yes. Like blowing our minds as to what is it, what's it possible and I think honestly, we've always, I've always been like, we can, you know, if we just have the tools, if we just work hard and have the opportunity, we're going to really, we're going to do something. And I think this is the first time I'm like, okay, all the, the five years of heart working our asses off, the five years of recommitting, recommitting, recommitting is finally feeling like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. so critical mass, the tipping critical. point. Yeah. Like, yeah. so just to or give you a number, like, so last year, I think we, we produced about 30 metric tons of wow. chocolate. So that's uh, 64,000 pounds of chocolate. This year, I think we're gonna over double that easily. Maybe, three to four maybe three. How many four chocolate bars. bars is that? I don't know. See, that's the thing. Oh, it's like we yeah. don't measure in chocolate bars anymore yeah. because that's where we were. We're like Pablo Escobar of chocolate bars. Totally. Yeah. We're going to Medellin. And yeah. We're yeah. Medellin. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolatero. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just like again, it's like thinking about scale. Yeah. Like 
scale is the thing that it will literally fingers crossed is going to shift the way that we do because mm. if somebody comes if somebody came to us two years ago and was like hey we want you to make a hundred thousand pounds of chocolate we're like <laughs> yeah us yeah is that real yeah are you kidding me yeah right now the answer is yes and then we go back behind closed doors and we're like how do we do this yeah that's the thing that's different for us is we're like we can we can do this we see ourselves differently now yeah because mm -hmm. we've gone through yeah the, fire. the coolest part about what we get to do here with this podcast is that we there's a lot of companies that are just nestled and, you know, you guys used to be down below civic and have moved recently. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and there was obviously a reason, well, partial reason for that, but due to the flooding that was going on, but you're, you're in Bellingham and of all places, you know, and this is a huge global impact that you're making. Why are you in Bellingham? What's what, what about the Bellingham community draws you to be here and have a beer at goods and, and support other local businesses? So what's, what about Bellingham is like, is your place? I, I couldn't think of a better place to have um, to raise a family. Totally, to have a family mm -hmm. and to raise children, and but like having a community that really represents the types of values that we want our children to embody. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, commitment to their civic responsibilities, their their passion for making and evolving the world. Like Bellingham seems to really represent that. Mm -hmm. um, and and so thinking about going somewhere else to, to kind of wrap up this season three finale you you have your kids right and you know i met well didn't meet but i got pulled over <laughs> by your kid at, at goods with his fire truck you have lessons that you had talked about earlier on that you want to pass along to them by who you are the the, the example that you set by taking chances by scaling by making impact in your community and you know the flexibility showing your kids that you can create your own thing if you could give a message to your kids in the future, what's the message you want to leave for your kids? Why do you do this? Aries better at this than I am, but I'll just say one thing. <laughs> I, th I think that um, like empowering people to realize that like every decision choice has an impact mm -hmm. and that that impact can have a rippling effect that we may not be able to see. When you do something, like you put your heart into it, you put your soul into it, you try to do it with the best intention and, uh, and to be able to ideally teach our children that we can put our efforts into something that is going to create a positive ripple effect is a powerful thing to share as well as like i would tell them as a little asterisk like become a kick-ass problem solver mm. like don't be afraid to fucking solve problems like really get good at it mm -hmm. because that's going to get you over the sierra nevadas and that's going to get you you know that's going to get you to manifest anything you want and I, I know it sounds really cliche and there's a lot of to unpack around following your dream, but like really, truly like being willing to, to go after what makes you inspired or unpack what you're passionate about. Because I think that, you know, probably for the first time in our lives, even though we work more and we're, you know, our kids would see us work a lot. We talk about work a lot at home. Except for after six o'clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't get to talk about it anymore. I like that. Six Good rule. It's, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that like, I think for them to see that like this is ingrained in who we are, this business is kind of who we are as people like, exemplified. And we want to see them to see us working hard, you know, facing challenges, arguing about stuff at times and then coming through, being able to come through that mm -hmm. together is really is a really powerful thing for them to see. And for us, them to see us like, you know, going after something we care about. Sorry, I always this happens every time. But like, I really think that um, that's it's hard to do. It's hard to take a chance on yourself. And um and so I think it's always worthwhile. It's always worthwhile to, to go for it. And so I would hope that they would do that themselves. Mic drop <laughs> season three. Yeah. Boom. For the tears. Isn't episode eight. Happen? What's that? Does tears ever happen in here? I cry after every episode. <laughs>
<laughs> so glad and that's before. done. Yeah. I'm yeah. so Woo! glad that's it happens. Good. No, but thank you so much for joining us. You, yeah. I couldn't think of a better way to finish the season. We got Paul and Ari Newman with cold chocolate. Cool chocolate. Cool chocolate. Cool chocolate. Cool chocolate. Today we talked with Paul Newman and Ariana Lee Newman, founders and owners of Cool Chocolate, located right here in Bellingham. You can follow along with the Cool Chocolate story on Instagram at KULchocolate or on their website at coolchocolate.com. You can also order your very own chocolate bars directly from their website or at several of our local Whatcom County grocery stores. Building Bellingham is a community podcast exploring leadership, challenges, failure, and mindset with entrepreneurs right here in Whatcom County, Washington. You can catch recorded episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Be the first to hear about upcoming guests on the Building Bellingham Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as the Building Bellingham YouTube channel. This episode was produced and edited by Tiffany Holden. Our videography is done by Cooper Hansley. Social media and community support is by Taylor Beal. To learn more about the team behind the podcast, check out our website at www.livebellinghamnow.com or search Cohen Group NW on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. From the whole Building Bellingham podcast team, thank you for listening.